The reading is from Mark 1, verses 9 to 15. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's say a prayer before we reflect on those words. Dear Lord, we thank you for your living word. It is alive to us today. I pray that you make that real to us as we reflect on it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Power in submission. That's what I've titled this um, little talk. Power in submission. Baptism of Christ. And um, submission. is This idea of submission is one of the cornerstones of Jesus' whole life and his whole ministry. Sharing a verse from Matthew. In chapter 16, 24, Jesus, for instance, tells his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. To deny ourselves means to abandon our interests, our, our priorities, our goals, or at least to make them subservient to, to Jesus and to his way. And um, this was a cornerstone of his whole ministry. He started his whole ministry with submission. And this is actually the scene where, just before he, he launched his public ministry, and he, where he's baptized by John. John the Baptist. Immediately after this, Jesus, he had just been baptized with water, and then he's baptized again, as we've heard in the reading, by the Holy Spirit. Verse 10 says, the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and rested on him. And then the Father audibly confirms his identity and says, you are my son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. So but he's baptized with water, he's baptized with the Holy Spirit. And God has confirmed, this is the Son, one with God. But um, if you are, are like me, you might ask yourself questions sometimes as you come across things in the, in the scriptures. You might ask this question, why did the Holy Spirit need to rest on him if he was the Son of God? Why did the Spirit need to rest on him? Well, Scripture explains that um, in other parts of, of the Bible and in a passage that we use quite frequently. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 to 8. That tells us why. 
as we often profess it is as a, an affirmation of faith. We, no, we normally say, being, together, being in the very nature of God, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to death on the cross. He humbled himself. He denied himself. He submitted himself. It's a cornerstone of his whole life, his whole ministry. And taking the human form, Jesus gave up equality with God in terms of power and in terms of position. Though he's still the only son, he gave up power and position. He submitted to become human, just like you and me. To enable you and me to be, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit for life in the kingdom. But his baptism was not the, his very first reception as a human person as, uh, with the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.8, if you remember the nativity story, tells us that his mother Mary had been betrothed, been betrothed to Joseph before they came together. And she was found to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit was active in his life, even at his very birth. And so he grows and comes to young adulthood. And then he comes to jo- and John, he comes to John the Baptist and submits to him, knowing this is the will of the Father. John had actually resisted, knowing he knew as a prophet that this was a special one. And he resisted the idea of having to baptize this one, this one of this holy one from God. Matthew chapter 3 tells us in verse 13 to 15, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And so John consented. And then, as we've seen, he submitted also to the Spirit. And then, again, we see it in the first thing that happens after the baptism. In verse 12, it says, At once the Spirit led him, sent him out into the wilderness, some versions say he was sent. Some say he was driven. Some say he was forced into the desert. He submitted to the Spirit. And he submitted to being there 40 days, 40 nights. With no food, contending with the tempter. This passage in Mark doesn't even t- detail the temptations which the other Gospels uh, t- uh, reveal. Mark here just emphasizes the attitude of submission. Submission to God's Holy Spirit and to God's will. Remember he had given up his own power, making him himself nothing to be just like you and me. 
And now the spirit, Spirit's arrival comes and enables him, empowers him for ministry. And his first, after, his first act after baptism was to submit to the same spirit. And uh, though I repeat that, I've repeated that, but there lies there a secret to the power of God. To receive the Lord's power for work in the kingdom, we must be ready to submit to the Holy Spirit. We must be ready to submit to the Holy Spirit. After his time in the wilderness, Luke 4.14 says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Not in his own power, not in his own wisdom, but in the power of the Spirit. And he went about teaching and announced. His first announcement actually was his manifesto. When he went into the temple and he declared, after reading the scroll of Isaiah, remember that's the famous passage in Luke, and he says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's like he's setting out his, um, his purpose statement, his, his real manifesto, what he is about. And do you hear where he claims his power is from? He says... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit is on me. The Spirit has anointed me. The Spirit has sent me. Everything is the power of the Spirit. And from then onwards, Jesus taught through the Holy Spirit until the day he was taken up to heaven, as we, as we read elsewhere. He baptized people, but not with water like John the Baptist. He baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's such a simple thing, but it's something that we can easily take for granted and ignore. But it was the very fundamental basis of his ministry. All his ministry depended on the Holy Spirit. He totally depended on that for ministry. And he was always humble. He lived, he worked, he died in submission so that he could fulfill his mission, so that I could be forgiven, so that we could be forgiven. He submitted so we could receive salvation. He submitted so that we may come into the kingdom of God. He submitted so that we may be gathered together as people of God in his kingdom. He submitted himself. Let's hear from Ted the Sheep as I often like to refer to um, their cartoon. Ted and sheep are our sheep, sheep friends. Ted is the one on the left. And, and uh, as, as usual, they're thinking about the Bible lesson. So Ted says, you're saying that I'm God's son too? Because they're sheep. They're, lamb of, they're, they're sheep of the kingdom. So, uh, Rick says, right, daughters and sons, heirs through baptism. Ted looks up and Rick asks him, what are you looking at? Ted asks, where, my dove, where's my dove? My dove, where's my dove? Is he being simplistic? He tends to be that way, um, 
But actually, he's got a, quite a significant truth here. Let's reword it. Let's reword what he says. He says, where's my dove? We could ask, when we receive Jesus, how do we know the Holy Spirit has come upon us? Where is my dove? Where's my dove? How do we know? Well, first of all, every Christian has the Spirit. To be a Christian is to have the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 9 says of believers in Christ, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So if we have received Christ, we have received his Spirit. So we have the dove with us in Ted's terms. There are no Christians who don't have the Spirit. So you know you have the Spirit if you are in fact a Christian, if you have been born again through Christ. And um, sometimes Christians may confuse having the Spirit with being filled with the Spirit. That's a term that the Bible uses in other places. Acquiring the Spirit happens at salvation, when we receive Christ. All true believers possess the Holy Spirit. It is a seal marking you for the kingdom of God. Ephesians 1, 13-14 confirms this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That is having the Spirit. But being filled with the Spirit, as the Bible speaks about in other places, is an ongoing experience. To be filled with the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit in increased measure, increasing measure, allowing him full control over our lives, that is being filled with the Spirit. However, some Christian denominations do teach that um, the baptism, the filling of the Spirit, is a separate experience that occurs at salvation. And sometimes that may cause confusion for some believers. And some may even prompt, be prompted to question whether they have the Holy Spirit. But is, as Anglicans, and, and gen, this is generally the, the position of the Church of England, the belief is that there is one baptism of the Spirit, and that occurs at salvation. But there are actual signs of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. Okay? So though we have, take it on faith, that we have received the seal once we have believed, but there are signs that we can look to in our lives. There is transformation of our hearts and our minds. Romans 12, 1 to 2 speaks of that. There is new behavior and a changed orientation in keeping with God's word. There is increasing evidence of, God's, of the fruit of the Spirit. 
And also there is an actual awareness. You can actually be aware of the presence of the Spirit, just as you have, can have the awareness of the presence of the Lord Jesus in particular situations in your life, particular times in your life. But for others, there's also additional gifts. Some may speak in tongues, for instance, or may be able to hear and interpret other tongues that they've never learned or been taught. There will also be the ability to test spirits by which other people speak and act. In these and many other ways, we can have experience of the presence and action of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus, as Jesus' disciples, we are empowered through submission, just like he was. Um, If we can turn to the last slide. God desires for us to stand in power that comes from faith and through the Spirit. But we must submit to the Spirit to receive that enabling of the Spirit. We must submit to his leading The Holy Spirit was made available to followers of Jesus after he ascended into heaven and received his glory once again. Before his ascension, he had promised to his disciples, and we read in Acts chapter 1, verses 8 to 9, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after they said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. Later, of course, at Pentecost, the Spirit was poured out onto all, and it remains available to all people who have received Christ. The Holy Spirit has been offered to all believers. The Holy Spirit gives power to all believers The Holy Spirit is indeed worthy of worship. He's one of the three persons of the Trinity. Just as much as the Son and just as much as the Father, he's worthy of highest honor. So much so that the sin of dishonoring the Holy Spirit is indefensible. It is inexcusable. It is unpardonable. It is the unforgivable unforgivable sin and Jesus himself makes it clear in Matthew 12, 31 to 32. The Pharisees had accused him of doing miraculous works of healing using the power of the devil. Even though he had repeatedly taught that he was ministering under the Spirit. And so Jesus says to them, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Those are heavy words, and we would do well to heed that warning, because the Spirit is indeed worthy of highest honor. He does the very work of God in our lives and for his kingdom for God's kingdom. We have received that deposit if we are believers in Christ, if we have submitted and believed Jesus for salvation. And that enables us to deal with life and its challenges. In particular, 
It helps us to stand against temptation. We've just begun the season of Lent. And temptation, just like Jesus as he was in the wilderness for 40 days, he experienced temptation. And um, it is through the power of the Spirit that he was able to stand. Temptation is a constant enemy. It never ceases to try to bring us down. To try is to go around our defenses. Jesus faced it, and we're not immune either. It can be a challenge, especially if we have um, decided to deny ourselves particularly uh, for something during this season or to take something new. Whatever we may have put off or taken up, it's a way of telling God that our priority at the moment is to have a closer time with him in Lent. And submission to the Holy Spirit helps us on our way. Just as Jesus submitted, so we should. The Bible teaches us to think positively about submission. Sometimes in the world it's regarded as um, an awful word, submission. But the Bible speaks about it positively. Submission reveals faith in God's sovereignty. Submission is what faith looks like when you seek God's will. Submission to God is not an imposition on our lives. It is an invitation to receive God's grace, God's power in our lives, and trusting the Son through the Spirit. May we be found faithful. Amen. We take a moment to pray. Father God, we thank you that you give us this example of the Son, Jesus Christ, who submitted to receive baptism of water and of spirit. And submission is not something we like to hear often. We don't like to give up those things we prefer. But we ask that you enable us and give us your spirit to see your will for our lives and to stand in your power in every situation that we face today and onwards. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.